Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, where we discuss your issues involving your children as they're growing up. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today, we have Dr. Laura newman own with us. She is a pediatric hematologist-oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. So she specializes in blood disorders as well as treating children with cancer. So today, we're going to talk about the different common blood disorders, mostly anemia, but anything else you may want to discuss. Share your comments and questions with us this morning. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Laura Newman in with us. She is a pediatric hematologist oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. So those are doctors that specialize in blood disorders as well as they treat children with cancer. So today we're going to be talking about the common blood disorders we see, usually anemia, um, sickle cell anemia is another common illness that we see here. Um, and Dr. Newman specializes in um, blood clotting disorders, so patients with hemophilia and other disorders. There's more than that, but most people are familiar with the hemophilia. So we are um, going to talk all about that today. We'd love to hear any questions you may have, so give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can always send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Newman. Thank you for coming in with us today. Thank you for having me. Um, so Dr. Newman, like I said, she works at the Batson Children's Hospital um, in the hematology and oncology department, mostly dealing with um, blood disorders and particularly bleeding disorders, but also takes care of children with cancer, which we have. A, unfortunately, that's a pretty busy service, mostly um, in the hospital and outpatient, too. So she stays very busy and we um, are thankful that she was able to fit us into her schedule today. So I was going to start talking by anemia because I feel like a lot of people are familiar with the term anemia and know that it means that your blood counts are low, but may not know um, what the particular causes are, what to look for, and how y'all treat that. And, you know, there's several different kinds of anemias out there. Um, So tell us a little bit about what happens when somebody is anemic. So you have low blood counts or low red blood cells. Um, why is that? Why does that cause problems? So you have three different types of blood cells um, in your body, in your blood. Um, one is called one are called platelets, and your platelets are they clot your blood. And the white blood cells they fight infections. And your red blood cells, which is the blood blood cells that we're talking about, those carry oxygen to your tissues. Um, they carry oxygen to all of your 
organs, your heart, your liver, your brain, your muscles, everything in your body needs oxygen. Um, and so your red blood cells, are the that's their job is to carry oxygen around. So if you don't have enough of them, which is what anemia is, anemia means you don't have enough red blood cells. So we count them when you get your blood counts. We count the cells. And if you don't have enough or less than the normal amount that people have, that is what anemia is. Um, and so the problem, if you don't have enough red blood cells, is that there's not enough cells to carry oxygen to your tissues. So you may be tired. Um, in severe cases, you will have problems with your organs functioning. You can It can affect your heart. It can affect all of your organs. Um, it will become more difficult for you to exercise, things like that. You'll be short of breath um, because there's just not enough oxygen getting to your tissues. Yeah, and it's a pretty something easy to diagnose and something that we screen for, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but it's easy to recognize, fairly easy to treat usually, um, and we'll talk more about that. But it's definitely important to be able to recognize the symptoms so that you can go talk to your doctor about that um, because it's an easy diagnosis and something that we don't want to miss. So what would you tell the listeners out there to be looking for, whether that be in themselves or in children too? So um, being pale is a big um, symptom of anemia. Um, your red blood cells kind of give you that pinkish color, that the tint to your skin. And so if you don't have enough, you can be very pale, no matter what your ethnicity is, whether you're African-American or Caucasian or some other race, you will be more pale than, than usual. And usually parents can tell that they just don't look quite right. Their skin is just a little bit too pale. Also, like I said earlier, being short of breath. Um, in kids, they can't keep up with their friends on the playground. You know, teachers might say, man, they just have to stop and take breaks, um, just can't keep up like they normally can. Being tired, um, sleeping more than usual, just fatigue, um, those kind of things are the most common symptoms of anemia. And so um, little babies who can't really get up and move around, what would you tell parents with newborns out there to look for? Again, just the pallor, um, which means being pale, um, and then just sleeping more than usual, just seeming fatigued, not just not acting right is always, a, you know, if your baby's not acting right, um, usually mamas know when their babies just aren't acting right. Yeah. Um, but the, the being pale is the biggest um, red flag for babies. Yeah. And babies, you know, being more tired, they don't really do much as a baby besides eat. Um, and that's the main way they exert their energy. So one of the things that you may notice in a baby when they're tiring easily is they don't eat their bottles as efficiently as they normally do, or they don't breastfeed as well as they normally do right. um, because they're getting so tired from that's the only energy exertion that they do so they may not be able to finish a bottle as fast as they normally do or they may not even finish the bottle right. so that um, which again most parents would recognize that that's not normal behavior for their children but that's definitely something to look out for too is um, having some trouble finishing their bottles 
So um, we're talking today about anemia and blood disorders with Dr. Laura Newman. She is a pediatric hematologist oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. So we've talked about why it's important to recognize anemia and what the symptoms are. How do you diagnose anemia? So what, what if you suspect that, what would you tell your doctor and how would your doctor proceed? So if you're concerned about anemia and you talk with your doctor, simple blood tests um, can show um, anemia. There are different kinds of anemia. Um, the most common one is a deficiency of iron. That's what most people think of when they think of anemia. Um, And we can test the iron levels in your blood. So you would start out with just looking at the blood counts. And if there are not enough red blood cells, um, then that kind of tells you that you have anemia. And then your doctor would want to figure out why. And that would mean another type of test to see why, whether that's iron deficiency or one of the other causes of anemia. So speaking of other causes of anemia, we um, we kind of were talking about earlier, we kind of think of three major kinds of anemia and three different ways to think about anemia. So tell us a little bit about that and why they would need further tests to work up this anemia. Right. So the three kinds of anemia that we see, like I said, most people think of iron deficiency, but we kind of think of it as three different categories. So one category is that your body doesn't make enough red blood cells. That's the category that iron deficiency falls into. So if you don't have enough iron, um, red blood cells, the hemoglobin, which is the word for the the part of your red blood cell that carries the oxygen around, is made up of two things. It's made up of heme and globin. It's made up the heme is the iron and the globin is the protein. And so if you don't have enough iron, you can't make the hemoglobin, which is in the red blood cell. So that may be getting kind of complicated. But the um, basically, the, you need the iron to make the red blood cells. So either you don't make enough, and other causes of that are problems with your bone marrow, which is um, the inside of your bones, which is where all your blood cells are made and come from. So if you have problems in your bone marrow, you don't make enough. Another category is that you destroy the red blood cells that you make. So there are things we call hemolytic anemias, which means you make enough red blood cells, but they all keep bursting open, and then they're not good if they've burst open. Um, And then the other category is that something's wrong with the other part of your hemoglobin, the globin part. So that's where um, where you get things like sickle cell anemia, some things called thalassemias. Those are problems with the structure of the red blood cell as opposed to the iron. Um, So those are kind of the three categories. So you can look at the blood counts um, and see if you have anemia, and then it will require an additional test to determine which one of those three categories your anemia fits into. And that's important to know what's causing the anemia so that we can know how to treat it. Uh, Because most of the anemias are are usually pretty easily treated. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. Um, And so if we know exactly what's causing it, that lets us know how we're going to treat it. A lot of times, speaking of treatment, you know, most of these can, like, especially iron deficiency can be managed by your pediatrician or by your internal medicine or family medicine doctor. Um, But some of the more complicated anemias uh, usually do need to see what we call a hematologist, which is a blood doctor. And that's where Dr. Newman comes in um, when it's those difficult ones to treat. Um, And there's so many different kinds out there. It's 
we if you have a particular question about one, we'll be happy to answer it. But we're going to try to focus on iron deficiency anemia because that tends to be the most common one we see in our kids and probably adults as well because it's um, it's very, very common. I see it pretty much almost every day, um, somebody suffering with anemia. So, so we've talked about what anemia is, what the symptoms are and to look for and how to diagnose it. So let's talk about treatment after the break. We'll get into that and how we treat that. Um, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can always send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Laura Newman on with us. She is a pediatric hematologist and oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. So she specializes in blood disorders, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, some of the more common ones, like anemia and sickle cell anemia. But we're happy to anything, talk about anything else that you may want to discuss. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can always send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So we've talked a lot about what to look for and how to diagnose the anemia. And next we'll get into how we treat it, um, specifically mostly the iron deficiency anemia, because that's the most common one that we see. Um, But it looks like we have a caller, so we'll go to our caller first. We've got Kristen and Madison. Hi, how are y'all? Good, thanks for calling. (laughs) So I have a question. Um, Can you give kids iron supplements? Yeah, so that's one thing we're about to get into. So tell us a little bit about iron supplements. Who needs iron supplements? So you can give kids a multivitamin that contains iron. Um, Most of the Flintstone vitamins, chewy ones, things like that, they have some iron in it. Um, So just the -the over-the-counter multivitamin that contains iron is fine to give anyone. If you have a baby under a year of age, you should talk to your doctor um, about their specific needs um but there also is a little liquid drop of multivitamin with iron that we give most kids um especially babies who are exclusively breastfed um around four months they need some sort of iron supplementation and that's usually just a little dropper that you can get over the counter that's a multivitamin with iron Um, but who needs more than that if you're anemic and your doctor diagnoses you with iron deficiency anemia, that multivitamin with the iron, the Flintstone, that's not going to be enough. You need more iron than that. And so we have a specific medicine that is just 
iron, concentrated iron that that you'll have to give your child. Um, And then typically you don't stay on that forever. Um, What that does is it restores your iron. And then the hope is that you get a better diet. Um, You kind of figure out why you were anemic in the first place, which um, we'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, But you can take that for a few months. And once your iron stores have been repleted, then you can come off of it. And then you can just take your Flintstone again that contains just a little bit of iron. Great. Thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you for your call. Thank you. So, yeah, so iron deficiency is the most common we see. Um, And most of the time we can get iron through our diet, right, if we just eat a healthy diet. How much iron should kids be getting? So they, you can get iron um, through leafy vegetables. You can get it through red meat. Um, you can get it through grits. We in the South love our grits, and grits are actually very rich in iron. Um, typically, they're, through a good, healthy diet, that's enough. Um, like I said earlier, with breastfed babies, they need a little bit extra iron supplementation. Um, but typically, if you're giving some red meat, some leafy vegetables, um, most things are fortified with iron as well. And so just your one multivitamin a day plus a good, healthy, varied diet is enough iron for for most kids. So we're talking today about anemia and other common blood disorders. We'd love to hear any questions and comments you may have. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 So, yeah, so most people with a healthy diet, and, you know, a lot of our grains and breads, cereals are going to already be fortified with iron, too. So even some of the common hearty foods, like she was saying, the greens and the meats and things like that, um, that we commonly think of as having iron in it. Um, there are several things out there, too, that are already fortified with it, particularly the cereals. So yeah. Even your Cheerios that your kids are eating. Yes, the Cheerios. They, they have iron in them. That's one thing I, I do recommend people eating is Cheerios <laughs> when they're having problems with iron because they do have a lot of iron in them. It's fortified with iron. So, yeah, so most of the time you can get it through your diet. We kind of talked a little bit about who needs supplements and when when you need supplements. Um, like Dr. Newman was saying, a lot of times if it's low enough iron, we do have to call in a specific vitamin with iron so that we can give you a little extra than what you would just get in a regular multivitamin. Um, and that's something that has to be prescribed by your doctor. The problem with that is there can be some side effects when you supplement with vitamins. So what are some of the side effects that people may see when they're having to take this extra um, extra iron vitamin? The biggest problem with the iron um, we see is constipation. And so a lot of times our kids will need a little extra medicine to help with constipation while they're on the iron. Um, it's not a very tasty um, medicine. It's iron. It's a metal. It tastes like metal. Mm-hmm. It's pretty gross. I've tasted it myself. If you're a grown-up or an older kid that can take a pill, it's not so bad. But the liquid tastes pretty bad. And so we have a hard time with kids spitting it out and not taking it. So we have some tips and tricks that we try to tell parents to get it down. But constipation is the biggest side effect. 
Yeah, a lot of times I'll tell people to go in and start a stool softener yeah. or Miralax. Um, a laxative, like a gentle laxative, um, especially the adults. You know, the kids, I feel like kids tend to tolerate it a little bit better um, than the adults do, but even the children have lots and can have lots of problems with it. Um, so you'll notice that they that's probably the biggest complaint is upset stomach and constipation. One thing we tell people to do is to take it with vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that helps those side effects a little bit. It also helps with your body absorbing the iron. So you can take it, you know, with some um, orange juice, which has a lot of vitamin C mm-hmm. in it. There are also some special formulations out there. So if you're out there and your doctor has put you on iron and you're having lots of trouble taking it, that may be something you can talk to them about is changing the formulation and adding it with the vitamin C or trying to take it with some orange juice. Yeah, there are some newer medicines that have come out that taste a little bit better um, than the regular old iron that people are used to prescribing. But um, we learn about those as hematologists. And so you know, if you have been on regular iron and it's not, you just can't get your child to take it. There are some out there now that taste a little bit better. And as far as taking it, um, we always tell people not to take it with milk or tea. Um, tea and milk um, make it harder for your body to absorb the iron. So you don't want to give it in the morning while you're feeding them their cereal with milk in it. Um, it has to be given with without milk or tea within a couple of hours. Yeah. So. Well, that's good to know because we, as medical students, our third year when we start pediatrics, they they make us taste all the different liquid medicine, not all of them, but several of the different antibiotics and iron and some of the common medications that we use. And I can still remember how terrible that iron tasted. It tasted like you had a mouthful of like pennies or something. Yes. Very metallic and it is, it's not good. So that's good to know that they have new formulations out there that maybe make compliance a little bit better so um we talked about different ways to get iron in your body so tell i mean iron in your diet tell us like there are some things you can do with your diet that we see a ton in our toddlers that um that is a very common thing that kids have in their diet that actually can cause them to be anemic so tell us a little bit about that oh yes so one of my most common referrals that i see in clinic um, is a cute little toddler chubby little thing that drinks tons and tons and tons of milk Um, milk can actually cause iron deficiency anemia Um, milk is good in moderation so you should have no more than 18 to 20 ounces of milk a day. And that's kind of pushing it. We like to tell people 16 to 18 ounces a day. Um, So if you're filling that 10 ounce cup up with milk four times a day, that's 40 ounces of milk a day. And eventually you are going to have iron deficiency anemia. And I've actually had very, very severe cases of anemia just from too much milk. And I have a little two-year-old at home that loves her milk so I completely understand why parents will keep giving that milk she will stand at the refrigerator and beg for her milk um, like lots of other toddlers but it's important to know that you really shouldn't give more than about 18 ounces of milk a day yeah we're talking today about anemia and the different blood disorders we've got Dr. Laura Newman on with us. She is a pediatric hematologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. We'd love to hear any questions or comments that you may have. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 
So I feel like the milk toddler situation is kind of a, um, sometimes the parents, when they're transitioning from formula to whole milk, which usually happens around age 12 months, um, we recommend not giving whole milk to kids before they turn one for that purpose, that it can lead to iron deficiency anemia. Because usually by one year of age, they're starting to eat their table foods. They're sitting down at the table with you eating three meals a day. And so they're getting their iron through their diet. Um, And so that's when you can make that transition over to the whole milk at age one. So before then, most all of our formulas, if your child is eating formula, is going to be fortified with iron. So you don't have to worry about supplementing with that. Um, Breastfed babies usually they're going to have cereal and some of the baby foods that have um, fortified with iron. But it's always good to talk to your pediatrician about it if your child needs iron supplementation. But one thing um, that I see a lot when they do transition over to the whole milk at one year of age is the parents think they need as much whole milk as they did formula. And so they will tend to give them, you know, 25, 30, sometimes even upwards of 35 40 ounces of whole milk because they feel like they have to get as much as they were the formula. But honestly, they don't need as much of the whole milk because they're getting most of their nutrition through their diet now and not requiring the formula for those calories and nutrition. So, and most of the time, you've already kind of started backing down on that formula by the time they're 12 months old. But some are still given, you know, close to 30 ounces of formula, but even as they get closer to one. And so they feel like they have to give that much milk. But that is a misconception, and you don't have to do that. Um, like Dr. Newman said, we try to limit it. I usually tell people uh, 15 to 20 ounces of milk a day. So um, definitely a decrease from what your kid was eating when they were in formula. So that's something important to make sure everybody remembers uh, because we see this all the time. So um, speaking of seeing this, we see this because we screen for anemia at all at our checkups. So when do we recommend screening and when should you talk to your doctor about getting your child screened for anemia? So our, our general pediatricians like Dr. McLeod, they are screening all of our babies. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends um, screening for anemia at 9 to 12 months. And so our general pediatric friends are doing that um and then after that um we don't necessarily screen that much after that uh we always want an initial one-time screening starting at 12 months is usually what we do and um some people do it at nine months but most i feel out there wait until 12 months now um And then it's kind of based off what their risk factors. And if they do drink a lot of milk, a lot of times, even at their two-year-old checkup, I will do a little finger prick to check their blood counts. Um, If there's anything else, like if mom mentions that, oh, I've noticed that they're a little pale or they're not keeping up and running as much as they used to, then I may consider doing that. Right. Um, After that nine to 12 month period, it's more of a a diagnostic, um, not an automatic screen. So if you have concerns, you should bring it up and then we'll kind of go from there but yeah um some other kids that i probably watch it if they're you know when i screened them at one if they were a little borderline then and then they're still kind of picky at their two-year-old or they're smaller for their age um, i may consider re-screening them for that but usually we we screen everybody at their one-year-old checkup and then we just want to follow them um and that's why checkups are so important so that you can make sure that you're going to your doctor and you're talking to your doctor about any of your concerns so that those can be addressed if your child 
is having any problems. I will say that's how my dad got, um, he had problems with anemia and actually turned out that he had um, cancer and it was found in a regular checkup that he gets every year. So checkups are very important so that you can make sure that you're talking to your doctors and you're getting all the appropriate screenings that you need, Um, you know, not only for checking for anemia, but high blood pressure and watching your weight and your height and development and everything like that. So um, we are going to continue our discussions about anemia and different blood disorders. We'd love to hear any questions you may have or any comments. Share some stories that you have out there with us. Call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email at kids at, MPB, at mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Laura newman owen with us. She is a pediatric hematologist-oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. She specializes in blood disorders like anemia as well as bleeding disorders. So we're talking today about all the different common blood disorders, and we'd love to hear any questions and comments you may have. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. So we've had some great discussions about anemia, um, and particularly the iron deficiency. We will get into a, a few other kinds that we see, uh, but it looks like we've got a couple of callers, so we'll go to them first. We've got Lillian and Bahelia. Go ahead, Lillian. Yes. I have been diagnosed uh, with pernicious anemia ever since, well, uh, initially in 1958. And there is no known cure for pernicious anemia, is there? So pernicious anemia is a form of B12, vitamin B12 deficiency. Yes. And um, so you you can get some vitamin B12 deficiencies just from diet. Um, not having enough in your diet. We see it a lot in our vegans and vegetarian patients. Um, But pernicious anemia in particular, with that B12, it's because your body makes antibodies so that it it can't absorb that B12. So we can, you know, you can eat all the B12 in your diet you want, but it's not going to be able to absorb it in your stomach. So unfortunately, besides B12 shots, there's not too much you can do for the pernicious anemia as of now. Um, I don't know, maybe one day in the future they could have some kind of medicine that targets those 
antibodies that your body creates to prevent you from absorbing it. But as of now, unfortunately, yeah, there's not really anything we can do besides the B12 shots. And that, that's because it goes directly into the bloodstream, right? Exactly. Your body absorbs it that way. Instead of most people absorb it through their stomach, but if you can't, then you have to give it through the bloodstream. Yes, ma'am. Uh, pernicious anemia uh, patients. Yeah. You can take enough vitamins, uh, supplements, and crap until it comes out the wazoo, and it's not going to help you when I out it. Not at all. You're right. Not unless you give it a shot. Right. Yeah, and then, you know, there's there's more to it than just the anemia, as I'm sure you're well aware. You can get problems with neuropathy, um, so you can have that numbness and tingling in your hands and feet. You can get um, confusion. Sometimes people get confused. They can get dizzy. There's there's lots more things than just the anemia, unfortunately, with the pernicious that's, anemia. That's because the uh, uh, iron is deficient in taking the blood to your brain. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. A, lot, it can, a lot of people have not been told that. They just say, well, it's because you're anemic. Uh, give the patient <clears throat> an idea of what is happening when this happens. I mean, uh, I, I've been to so many doctors, and they'll just simply say, oh, well, you, you know, this goes along with it. Tell me what's causing it. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely it can affect your nervous system, and so that's what you get like the yeah exactly exactly. So, well, I'm sorry that you have to suffer through that, but it sounds like you're very educated on it, and you're taking good care of yourself. Well, I was uh, diagnosed with uh, pernicious anemia back in 1958, and I'm now 91 years old. Oh my goodness! Wow. That's awesome. Well, I think you've done a great job taking care of yourself for these 91 years. And um, like I said, I'm sorry you have to suffer with that because nobody likes to give themselves shots. Um, but I'm glad you've, you've been so educated on it and taking good care of well, yourself. Well, I have been going to one doctor, and he says, it's not really necessary for you to get this B12 shot. And then he runs a blood count. And he says, well, you're short of the B12 yeah. You just told me I didn't need it. Yeah, with pernicious anemia, unfortunately, you got to be on it for life. Usually not as often, just once a month. But right. um, you do got to you do have to give yourself those shots for the rest of your life. Right. Well, thank you so much for your call, Lillian. We appreciate that. Yes. And next, we'll go to Jack in Cleveland. Uh, hi. Uh, we are you there? Um, yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. All right. Um, in May of last year. I came down very suddenly with uh, with uh, spinal stenosis, and I was in horrible pain. I even had a nerve block. It worked for about four days. Uh, then uh, one day a friend of mine suggested turmeric curcuron, and since the first pill I took, I have had no pain. Oh, wow. And you said turmeric? T-U-R-M-E-R-I-C. I take 500 milligrams once a day at night. Mm-hmm. There's a um, turmeric is actually one of the supplements, like the natural supplements that we know does help. There is some evidence out there that it can decrease inflammation. So there's a lot of people out there that love turmeric. I have tons of patients on turmeric. Well, it, it's a it's a wonder drug for me. Yeah. Uh, I ran into one girl that was taking it in powder form. She said, mm-hmm. oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah, they, I think they make it in capsules. They do. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. 
and it's it's not expensive at all. Yes, yeah, and it's something I think it's available at most places, but definitely at natural um, and vitamin stores, you right. should be able to find it. Yeah, but it's uh, if you've got uh, spinal stenosis, try it. Yeah, well, it, it definitely helps with inflammation, so I'm sure yeah. that that helps. And it's a lot of people take it for blood pressure too, and diabetes, and just overall. People mm-hmm. swear by it. Yeah. And like I said, there is actual evidence that it is a, it is helpful with inflammation. Yeah. So, well, thank okay. you so much for your call. You're welcome. So we've talking today with Dr. Laura Newman. She is a pediatric hematologist oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. Um, we have been talking a lot about anemia, but we can talk about anything you'd like to talk about and any kind of blood disorder. If you have any specific questions, we'd love to hear any um, any of your thoughts. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always send us an email as well at kids at mpbonline.org. So we've talked a lot about iron deficiency anemia. Another anemia that we see a lot um, is sickle cell anemia. And so I have a lot of people that ask about sickle cell anemia. So let's talk a little bit about that and what exactly sickle cell is. So sickle cell anemia is affects the red blood cells, like you were talking about the shape of the red blood cells, which can lead to the anemia. Tell us a little bit about why that happens. So sickle cell, we actually here in Mississippi at um, our clinic at Batson, we have one of the largest populations. We take care of one of the largest populations of sickle cell in the country. We are a huge sickle cell center. Um, So we see lots and lots of it. Um, So as opposed to iron deficiency, um, you know, I told you the red blood cells are made up of two things, iron and a protein. Well, in sickle cell, the problem is with the protein instead of the iron. So you have plenty of iron. So iron is not going to fix this. It's the protein which makes up the structure and the shape of the of the red blood cell. And so instead of red blood cells should be kind of a, um, a round shape that's kind of uh, concave in the middle, um, kind of flattened in the middle, and that's how our normal red blood cell is. And it, that enables the red blood cell to smoothly flow around the red blood cells and not get clogged up. Well, sickle cell, because of that problem with the protein, it causes the cells to be shaped like crescent moons. So they are very abnormally shaped, and those crescent moons all get tangled and hung up on one another, and that's what causes some of the problems with sickle cell. It causes them to get clogged up in the blood vessels. Um, so again, it's not iron, it's the shape of the blood cell and it's inherited and that's how you get it. Um, you can't catch sickle cell. It's not one of those things. It's, it's passed on from parents to child. And some people have sickle cell trait, which means that they have some normal blood and some sickle blood, but they don't really have any problems. Um, but if you have sickle cell anemia, then you don't have any of that normally shaped blood. All of your blood cells are shaped like sickles. Yeah, and that's it can, it can cause lots and lots of problems. Um, but like she said, it's inherited, so you have to get it from your parents. Um, and if you have the trait, you don't necessarily, you have to have two people with the trait in order to get it in your child. Um, so just because one parent has the trait and the other parent, if you're tested and you know you do not, 
your child can't get sickle cell from that. You have to have, both parents have to have the trait in order for the child to get it. Or the disease. Or the disease. Trait or disease. Right, yes, trait or disease. Can't be completely without any of it. Yes, yes. And, you know, there are some complications you can get with the sickle cell trait, but most people have problems when it becomes when they have both of those and have the disease. And so, like she said, it's the abnormal shape. And that's what, when it clogs the blood vessels, that's where they get the problems like you've probably heard people talk about. They have bone pain or what we call a pain crisis. Um, because it decreases the blood supply to the bones. Um, It can happen in the lungs. It can happen in the brain. It can happen in the heart, in the kidneys, anywhere, really. Um, Anywhere there's blood supply, that which is our whole body. So anywhere can be affected. But those are some of the big organs that we see and the complications that we see. We've got a caller now. We'll go to Mike. He's in St. Louis. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, hi, uh, I just tuned in a little bit late, so I might be off topic, but when I came on, you guys were talking about, um, formula and babies, uh, so my daughter, she just, um, turned one, and she's not really drinking as much milk as she used to, she's, she was breastfed, and, I'm trying to see what exactly we can do in order to make sure that she's getting adequate nutrition. Yeah, so that's a good question. So one of the things we were talking about is when you switch from breastfeeding and formula, they don't actually need as much of that to whole milk. So if she is eating three healthy meals a day with her parents and her family, that usually suffices. So really, they only need about 15, 18 ounces of whole milk a day. If you're not getting that, You know, there's other ways. The big reason we get them own milk is so that they can get their calcium and their vitamin D. So if you feel like she's probably not getting the full, you know, 15 ounces to 20 ounces that she needs of the whole milk, you can always talk to your doctor about getting in some vitamin supplements. Usually a multivitamin probably should do the trick. Um, There's also other ways you can get calcium in their diet. So you can let them um, eat yogurt cheese, different ways like that, other milk products if she just does not want to drink milk. Um, There's also other types of milk out there, too. So, you know, almond milk still has calcium and vitamin D in it. So some kids just don't like the taste of whole milk and do better with different kinds of milk, like almond milk. I don't know if y'all have tried any other kinds of milk. We haven't, but we both drink almond milk and, I mean... (laughs) I I hadn't even thought about that before. Yeah, so the almond milk has calcium and vitamin D in it as well. Now, it doesn't have as much fat in it, which is why we do the whole milk from age one to age two. But um, it's there's newer recommendations out there that you don't necessarily have to do the whole milk. You can do 2% milk. And so um, almond milk is always an option as well so that they can get that calcium and vitamin D. Okay, all right, thank you. Yeah, thanks for your call. Yes, ma'am. Y'all have a blessing. You too. So, yeah, so sickle cell, we've talked about the different problems that they can have, their pain, their heart problems, their strokes, all that. We can talk a little bit about um, how we treat sickle cell 
Unfortunately, we don't have a good treatment for it, so we can talk a little bit about that. Um, and then we'll wrap up and let Dr. Newman kind of tell us about what all they're doing over there at the Bats and Children's Hospital for the Hematology and Oncology Department. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we've got Dr. Laura Newman on with us. She is a pediatric hematologist-oncologist at the Batson Children's Hospital. And we've had some great discussions about different causes of anemia. Um, We have a few minutes left, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. Looks like we've got a caller, so we'll go next to Robert. He's in Jackson. Go ahead, Robert. Hi, I'm Dr. Annett. Myself and Dr. Maher, we're the uh, folks who are, uh, have developed the sickle cell bank uh, at UMMC. And I just wanted, I heard you guys talking about sickle cell. I just want to try to uh, impress upon your listeners the importance of being able to contribute to things like a sickle cell bank so we can better understand the genetics of both protective factors as well as disease risk factors related to sickle cell disease. That's all I wanted to get across. Oh, well, perfect. Well, thank you so much for calling. We appreciate okay. that. Uh, keep up the good work you guys nice show thank you so much so yeah so unfortunately we don't have a great treatment for sickle cell anemia Um, so it's definitely important uh, that we're continuing to do research and trying to learn more about it so that we can treat it um, because some of the treatments are very complicated and um, come with risk but uh, tell us just briefly a little bit about what y'all do what you do for sickle cell patients so um Now, in the past few years, it's become the new standard of care to put them on a certain medicine. It's called hydroxyurea, and this medicine is really changing the face of sickle cell. We've found through a lot of clinical trials and research that it decreases the amount of pain crises that patients have. It decreases complications. Um, I think 10, 15 years from now, we're going to see that it's really affected, um, decreased the rates of hospitalizations for these kiddos. Um, We do pain medicines. Um, They have to be on certain vitamins um, for sickle cell, extra vitamins called folic acid. Um, They're at risk for infection. So when they're real little, um, five and under, they have to be on antibiotics to prevent infection. They take antibiotics every single day, which is very different than than the general population. We don't do anything like that in the general population. We avoid antibiotics unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, But those are some things that we do. They have very regular checkups, and we screen for for problems. Um, We look at their head and make sure they're not at 
um, risk for, well, they're all at risk for stroke, but we make sure they're not at increased risk. They don't have problems where we think they're going to have strokes. So it's really important for them to be followed very closely. Um, there's new, uh, more complicated treatments, like Dr. McLeod said. Um, bone marrow transplant is a is a curative treatment, but that is certainly not without risk, and it is very difficult, a long, lengthy um, ordeal that involves chemotherapy and a, and a transplant. Um, so that has to be really thought hard about, and we only do that right now in certain severe cases. But, you know, one exciting thing that I would mention is that gene therapy is on the horizon. People um, think gene therapy is very futuristic, and it's really coming into play with um, with sickle cell and with some of our other blood disorders, which is really cool. And so I hope that in my lifetime, in my career, that I will see gene therapy be a total 100% cure for this. Yeah, so sickle cell is a very complicated illness, and um, it's one that you never outgrow. Um, So we see complications from it from childhood all the way through adulthood, Um, and it's unfortunately very common here. So we have a lot. So just like our caller said, if you know somebody with sickle cell, um, that's a great that I, I wasn't aware of that bank that was available. So that's great that if you can... Do that so that we can learn more about how to treat, like the gene therapy, like Dr. Newman was saying. Um, we can learn more information about that. Um, so we appreciate you coming on with us today. Um, they are very busy over at the Children's Hospital. So she works in the um, hematology oncology. So that is part of the cancer clinic. And so y'all have tons of kids every day coming through for just common blood disorders like iron deficiency anemia and taking care of cancer patients as well. Um, And they do it all at the hospital um, at the Children's Cancer Clinic down there. Um, And they give medicines. They give uh, chemotherapies, unfortunately. They can check labs. But you'll have a lot of fun stuff there, too, right? You have some child life specialists there and uh, that play with the kids and help the kids ease them through getting all these sticks that they have to get to get their blood counts checked um, and different medicines that they have to get. There's also... Um, a whole big team of people, but social workers and psychologists, and they're doing some wonderful things over there. So um, especially during the holidays, you know, don't forget about those kids that do have, unfortunately, these chronic illnesses. And um, don't forget about our Children's Hospital and all the wonderful work that they're doing over there. And we greatly appreciate that. Um, This has been a great day, and thank you so much, Dr. Newman, for coming on. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio, and it's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Hearing Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.